0: Welcome to another edition of the Built for the Storm podcast, hosted by three-time World Series champion, Jeremy Affelt.
1: Affelt brings it. Chopper on the infield. Affelt to the bag himself.
0: Get ready to experience life's winding journey. Journey. Through the minds of proven leaders in the worlds of sports, business, and entertainment.
1: And he strikes out. That's four straight for Atfield. Can't do it any better than Jeremy Atfield.
0: As they draw up your own personal playbook to overcoming the odds. And achieving real success. We just don't give up. We don't quit. You know, how we pieced everything together, man. Seeing teams win like this, the way we win. What's the best way to weather a storm? Run into it head on. Charging full steam ahead. This is unbelievable. You know game seven i mean this will be a memory for a long time for me i'm so happy i got to come to the park today here's the fearless leader of our pack jeremy affeld so next on free roam brewing company built for the storm podcast i have an awesome guest on the line with me he's a good friend of mine i'm very thankful and honored to have him on but i'm also thankful and honored to have played with him He's got some amazing stats. If you haven't ever heard of Buster Posey, you don't live on this planet. However, one of the good things about this podcast is we do not talk about the successes of people. We talk about storms, and we all know his accolades. He's a Hall of Fame catcher. He's won three World Series Rookie of the Year. He's been an NAL MVP, Gold Glove winner. But one of the things I've so appreciated about this man is his story and his genuine ability to be human. And he's carried himself a certain way. If you've watched him play, how he played is who he is. And we are very thankful to have him on this podcast. I am very thankful to have a conversation and to get into some details about his life that he may or may not have shared with a lot of people. But that's what we do on this podcast is we talk about storms. And we talk about how they shaped us, uh, how they are very much important a part of our life. We don't always like to go through them, but they are exactly what we need to become who we are and to become who we want to be in life. So Buster, thanks for joining me on the podcast this morning.
1: Yeah, man. Pleasure. Um, when you asked me to do the podcast, knowing you like I did, I wasn't sure if I was going to be talking or you were going to be talking the whole time. So (laughs) kind of interested to see how this goes. Um, and Uh. another, another side note, thank you, um, for the kind words. Um, definitely not true that, that everybody knows who I am. I was at tennis practice with my 11 year old yesterday and, sat down with the tennis coach who I've known for a few months now. And he was like, uh, so does he get his his forehand from you? I was like, I don't, I don't know, maybe. And he was like, huh. He's like, he played tennis. And I've, and I've known this guy for a few months now. He's like, he played tennis where you guys were before. And I was like, yeah, we were in California. And he's like, oh, were you, you were out in California for for work? And I was like, yeah, I was out there for work. And, and I had told this guy already, I had said, you know, I played baseball for – 12 years, and he's like, Oh, yeah, I did too. I was like, Huh, okay. So, I was like, Where'd you play baseball? And he's like, Well, I played, you know, for 10 years up until high school. So, I was like, Oh, (laughs) all right, it's awesome. It's a little bit different baseball path, but I I get it. So, yeah, everybody does not know who I am, and uh, (laughs) thankful for that. Actually, really, yeah.
0: Well, the common story that we always hear, and you know, that is, well, I played, then I broke blew out my Rotor cup. Yeah, that's why we didn't make it. But no, man, it's uh pleasure to have you on Buster. I, I, I've uh, I so appreciate the time. I know you're a busy guy. You're retired. You retired, had an amazing career. I want to kind of get into it, though, with you, as I know your time is short, but you know, everybody knows what you did in the sense of your accomplishments in the game. And we talked about this, I think, last year when you were, or a couple of years ago, you were mentioned about retiring, and you retired when you were the second time you became the comeback player of the year, and you said you didn't know if that was a good thing or a bad thing. <laughs> but uh, the first time was definitely a time where I watched you come up in 09, and I was, kind of a veteran at that time it was my first time with the giants. I had just saw you in spring training and you were the first rounder and the stereotypical first rounder for me was the kid that signed the first round. And he gets to come to big league camp, whether you're in it or not. And I kind of had that view of you at first coming in when they were telling me, you know, where you're at. Cause I saw you had this locker and you had like the a locker and we're like, you know, we're, we're over here after 10 years in the big leagues. And we get the scrub lockers in the back corner, but That's
1: they... to me early on
0: because of my locker. Yeah, yeah, I was pretty, I I was actually bitter (laughs) about it. Uh, So, and uh, I just remember, and they said, well, he's the first rounder. I'm like, oh, here we go. And man, I, I think I gained, I didn't earn anything. I gained a lot of respect for you because of how you carried yourself so respectfully early on in the game. You were a student in the game, but then when you came up, it was the same way. And in 2010, you came up a little bit in 20, 2009. For people that don't know, he came up a little bit at the end of 2009. 2010. Benji Milena gets traded, and he gets traded to Texas. You come in, and you just took over, and you did such a good job behind the plate, gaining trust of the pitchers. We win a World Championship. You win Rookie of the Year, and it was crazy. And then I think I'm pretty sure it was 2011. You snapped your, you got taken out at home plate. I mean, we were cruising, we had a great thing going, you were taken off, and you get taken out at home plate, and we all heard it, your ankle snaps, you get taken off the field, and for a catcher, that's not at all conducive to having a lasting career when you have what you had, and I kind of want to go through that process a little bit, because I think a lot of people saw you come back and just kind of Well, it's Buster. He just came back and was playing. But there was a lot more to that mentally, physically, emotionally. And there had to be some sort of fear for you going into that situation. And can you walk us through that process, maybe kind of how you handled that early on?
1: Yeah, I mean, as you can imagine, probably like anybody, I mean, when you're going through something tough, there's a there's a wide range of emotions. And for me, it was, oddly enough, one of the first ones I felt is I felt fortunate. I felt fortunate that it was my ankle and my leg and it wasn't my neck. It could have been worse than it was. Silver lining for me too was my wife was pregnant with our twins. So now selfishly, I know I'm going to be there for their birth. So a couple of things that kind of oddly, I was kind of grateful for right away. But then that, that gratefulness definitely turned into some anger, some some questioning. I had a really hard time. You know, the game was different then, right? Like it's it feels like that wasn't that long ago. It was twelve years ago now. But it was a completely different game. I mean, that was a legal play. That was a play that a lot of times guys would be congratulated for. Is like, hey, you you did your job. You knocked the ball out, and it was almost like a, a badge of honor to destroy the catcher. Which now you kind of think about, it and you're like, man, it's bizarre. It's almost like a a, a guy re- returning a punt has no idea where the the defense is and he's, you know, called a fair catch essentially. If you're not, you know, right on top of the play, you could say have that analogy and then just absolutely getting blindsided. It's pretty, I think now that we're removed from it now, and it's not the quote unquote norm, I think we can kind of see that it's, it's a pretty silly play. So I kind of had that perspective already. And so I was pretty bitter about that you know cousins i've not i still haven't talked to him to this day and in my my initial reaction is i didn't want to talk to him um yeah. and that's definitely changed as years have gone on and at one point i tried to reach out to him i think just a couple of years ago and you know it, it obviously presented challenges for him as well right i mean there was a lot of anger and resentment from the fan base and uh I hate that for him too, right? Because again, yeah. he was he was making a play that he thought was something that was helping his team. And uh I I and my heart does hurt for him that it's caused, you know, whatever amount of turmoil in his life. So, you know, bitter and resentful for being in the situation and then just kind of confusion too, right? Like not knowing you mentioned, like, I don't know, can I play baseball again? I, yeah. I don't know. I'm 24 years old. And you start thinking about like I don't even know. I don't know if I can get behind the plate and squat again. So really where my mind had to go, and Dave Greshner, who's a good friend of ours, our our trainer, that's still the trainer there, he really set a great tone for me. He was like, Buster, he's like, you know, as cliche as it is, you really just can't look past today. He's like, you have to be in the moment and understand now your job is not a baseball player anymore. Your job is to rehab your leg to the best of your ability. And that really hit home for me because it was like, You know, like a lot of us, probably professional athletes were very much goal oriented. So I was able to kind of grasp onto that concept and say, okay, today I'm going to accomplish this. If it's a matter of just sitting on the table and icing my ankle and trying to get swelling out of it, that's what I'm going to accomplish for the day. So really compartmentalizing and uh not trying to get too far ahead not trying to think like well what if what happens if this doesn't go the way that it does um and just saying like okay let's accomplish a little a little goal today and those goals got bigger and bigger and bigger as we as we moved along um but i will say even as like 2012 approached i was still having a, you may not remember this but i was still having a really hard time running like i mean i couldn't even all yeah. the way up to the season starting i had a really hard time i could run straight but i couldn't really turn and, uh, I was like, shoot, like, I mean, I'm, <laughs> I've never been fast, but I still need to be able to run a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think it still helped though, that I had the mindset. I was like, okay, that's today, you know, tomorrow might be different. And if I would gotten down on myself in that moment, who's to say, I don't know, you know, I don't know what it would have been like, but I was fortunate to be surrounded by people that kept my mindset going. You and I have talked about it a lot too. You've been, you know, a big part of my life and, and my faith and and walk with, with the Lord and leaning on him too, like for understanding and, and situations that that don't make a lot of sense to the, to the rational mind. And, and just, I think when I'm able to do that, it just gives me perspective too. like, you know what, man, as much as I, I want to play baseball, as much as I want to come back and try to help this team win a world series, it's like, Life's pretty good, no matter what. Life's pretty good, right? Like, yeah. look at all the look at all the people around you. that love you and care for you. And uh, yeah, I want to get back and play baseball, but it's not the end all, be all. And there's probably most things in our life, at least in my life, that that's accurate for. Um, but fortunately, I was able to get back and and really played that year with just such freedom because it was just probably the most joyful year that I played baseball because I was just happy to be back on the field. And I can remember thinking like, man, I wish I could bottle this feeling up this feeling of just like being so grateful to play. But inevitably that's a, that's a hard one to keep.
0: Were there dark days during that time where you, when you're rehabbing, I know you were going day at a time, but were there days where you're just like, did you ever get to that point where you're like, but what if that doesn't happen? Is there a plan B? Did you have to work through that process through that? How did your bride work with you through that? I, I mean, there had to have been some of those times going on.
1: Yeah. Yeah. There were, I mean, it was an interesting time in our lives, right? Like I think it was a blessing for us because we did have twins in August, which was like, gosh, when was that change? Like three months after my injury. Um, so was really distracted from my injury, but being a new, a new dad and, and trying to understand that and the joys in it, but, but also, there's some dark days in new parenthood as well.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's and, true. Uh, the distractions you know, are there.
1: Yeah. So they were there. And I mean, again, I, I think I was, I was fortunate to, ha- to have perspective, but I mean, yeah, dark days, like anybody who tells you that they've not had dark days is is not being honest. We've all been there. And I, I think it's a, for me, it's like, grasping on to what I believe in and I know to be true. And for me, it's, you know, it's my faith and, uh, and there's the others around me that care about me and, you know, fortunate to have that, that good base.
0: You think going through those times though, the storms like that storm, uh, I want to get into another one with your family, but the, that storm though, with baseball, do you think it helped if getting through something like that early on, because what happens is, is you win a world championship in 2010. Most guys, I mean, we're t- I play with Griff. He played 20 years. The guy did everything he could possibly do. Shoe in Hall of Famer. He never won a world championship. It's not that easy to win a world championship. So to come up that early to win one, it's really easy then to get complacent in the sense of like, I've got on my finger what 90% of some of these guys that play this game never get to have on their finger. And so it's easy for me. It's almost like my first World Series was in 07 and we lost. You didn't get the ring. So there's still that thirst to get it. So once you get it for me in 2010, I remember when I got it, it was like, man, I accomplished it. I did it like I've done everything that I want to do. If my career is over tomorrow, I don't have to look back and say, what if, or I I wish I would have had a chance to get that, or I wish I would have. I didn't have it. I, I was, I was very thankful, but you got it so early. I mean, you're talking a, a year into the big leagues, you got a ring already and it it's very easy to get to where it's like, eh, I know we're all competitors, but do you think that going through that and being able to say, man, it's fleeting, anything can happen. You can get taken on a home plate. You can get hit with in the face with a ball. You can do all these different things that can cause your career to be over those kind of things kind of is what maybe were you, were you able to kind of almost always look back and say, "I'm just thankful to be able to play like I'm thankful that I came back and it's driving me to continue to just be the best I can be because you don't ever know when it's over. Did you get that from that injury? Yeah, one hundred percent um and I think that's why like when I mentioned playing in two
1: thousand and twelve, I felt like I was able to play with such joy and freedom just because of that perspective that that you talked about, and I wish I could tell you. Jeremy that I had that the rest of my career but it wasn't and I think that's I think that's kind of life right like it's just seasons of our life that are all different I don't think we can expect it to be exactly the way it is uh was 10 years ago or what it is now and what it will be in 10 years and I think that's what's you know it's terrifying but it's also really exciting too, right? Like we know that there's going to be different things that arise good and bad that we're going to have an opportunity and see how we respond to it. Being a parent now, right? Like that's, I'm sure it's the same for you is like, that's one of the biggest lessons you try to teach your kids. It's like, you have an opportunity, how you're going to respond to this situation right now. It, maybe it's a positive one. And and the way you respond to it, it's going to be really impactful for yourself and others around you most of the time it is the hard ones, right? How do we respond to that? And I think just by example, it can be so important to other people to see when things are not going great. That was always a big thing for me. And I think you did a, did a good job with it too. You and I were close enough that you shared some of like, you know, your feelings towards the end of your career, which I think were completely, you know, normal, especially now going through mine. But being able to come in the clubhouse, right? Like when things are not their best, but making it more than about you, right? The way that you carry yourself, the way that you walk in and are able to have a conversation with somebody and they'll be like, man, this guy's got, you know, he's over for 15 right now, but he's still willing to, willing to sit down with me and tell me what he thinks or willing to hear me out. That's really what, what I enjoyed. I enjoyed the, I enjoyed that part of baseball probably as much as anything is. And from a catcher standpoint, that was really important. It was important for me to sit down and let you talk to me for two or three hours and when I was ready to go home.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, analyzing my curveball. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah,
1: just scud after (laughs) scud. (laughs)
0: <laughs> oh man the uh, i gotta yeah, talk but, to me
1: talking to me about like your curveball and i've got bruises all over my body i'm like Dude, just put <laughs> the thing to the plate
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh man uh well the good thing is is i always thought here's were dumb they swung at it anyway so that was good <laughs> that's, you know? that's pretty
1: pretty accurate pretty accurate
0: <laughs> oh, that's good yeah the uh real quick you you're so famous for the buster hug The reason why I'm intrigued by it is because I really like the angle that you took in how you played the game, because the game, you knew there was a lot of storms within the game. You've got storms outside of the game. We've got marriages. We've got conflicts. We've got injuries. We've got, like you were saying, the 0 for 15 struggle. The game is built around failure pretty much, and you're dealing with all this, but you you've been a part of a lot of big situations. I mean, a lot of big. You've, you've caught a lot of. You've caught several no hitters, and your hug after a no hitter was kind of. It was a. It was a hug, but it was. Like, it was like, hey man, it's just like excitement. But the World Series, and you did it after every World Series, and the reason I was I'm so intrigued by it is you you just were so even keeled throughout your entire process of the game, hitting, catching, I never saw you show. I saw you show emotion, but it wasn't like a, out of control where I lost self-control. And I just, you know, we saw guys just freak out and throw stuff and scream. I did it. I, I wore my emotions on my sleeve a lot. But you really you really held a lot in. And then it was just at the very end, man, after a World Series, you just, the amount of energy and emotion that came out of you was so like refreshing and fun to actually see. Do you, is it because you felt like, your position is a big deal, man, because you're actually dealing with people you're with going through storms. You got a picture every night that's probably going through a storm. Kane could be throwing seven shuddy and then one of us could be just like not even close and we're freaking out in our brains and you got to try to maintain all that. Was that energy, the Buster Hug energy for me, they marketed it, but there's a reason why the energy was there can you give us a little bit of understanding of how you felt going through the process of a year into winning it all? Because you were behind the plate for every one of those things. That's a view that only you got to have. I can't describe it. No one else can describe it. You can describe it and how you kind of had to handle all of that coming at you and your ankle is hurting in 2012, but I mean, it hurt. I was, you, 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 I'm sure you had, I'm sure you had some aches and pains in that thing for your whole career. I mean, there's a lot going on, man. So how do you process that? And what was the energy behind that hug that you would give at the end?
1: Yeah. Yeah. it's a good, good question. Um, as you know, probably or or may not, I mean, I'm, I'm actually not like that big of a hugger. Like that's not like, Yeah, I know
0: you're not, that's why I'm
1: intrigued. by (laughs) it. My first instinct to be a hugger. Um, I'm not sure how you felt at the end of the world series, but a lot of times for me, I was, I was obviously extremely excited and thrilled to win, but it was a relief. It was kind of like this feeling of like, okay, we get, you know, you mentioned dealing with, with pitchers, like for, for a catcher, you're waking up every morning like, all right, I'm facing, you know, Verlander today. I'm facing Scherzer tomorrow. I'm facing Pfister tonight, Annabelle Sanchez. I got to get their lineup with, you know, Prince Fielder, Delman Young, who was killing it at the time, Miguel Cabrera. And so it's awesome. Don't get me wrong. It's awesome. But by the end of it, there's just this release of emotion. It's, it's happiness, it's excitement. It's also uh, uh relief that the job that you were, you set out to accomplish was accomplished. And, and for me, I felt, I mean, like, like you, like it was just a, you know, each one of those was just a, truly just a dream come true. I mean, I, I can remember being in high school and just wanted nothing more than to win a state championship. We came a game short going to college. Same thing. I wanted nothing more to Florida state had never won a a college world series, been there a bunch. We got there, we didn't win. And I get, you know, like you're saying it was year one and totally get that where you're coming from there. But at a really young age, I had set my sight on like, I want to be a part of a championship. and I want to feel like what that is. So just years of work and, uh, coming out right there. And, Yeah, it's just a, it's one of those moments. I think the reason I could be wrong, but I think the reason that it kind of took a life of its own is because of what you said. It's not, it wasn't really my first instinct to be a hugger. And it was real, you know, it was real. It was a real reaction in the moment. I probably, if I could go back, one thing I would have changed. In 2012, I would have speared Romo instead of hugging him, just to <laughs> just for Giddy. fun. And Sergio, Sergio would even he'd be
0: like, "Yeah, you probably should have," you know. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he probably would have loved it. It would have been a great Sports Illustrated cover.
1: Oh my
0: god, no, it's good. That's good. Okay, so fast forward 2014, win another one, celebration, Buster hug again, bums on the mound, does it, move on. Now, now you're looking at a 2010 and a nine where we won a little bit. You were kind of a part of that team a little bit in September, but then pretty much we didn't do bad in our odd years. We didn't do great, but we kind of just won, but we didn't win, win. But then now, now you're going into a 15 kind of a low year, 16. You guys make it to the playoffs again, tough series with Chicago, but then you also ran a couple of, of years now you're getting into where you just are losing all the time, like losing all the time. But then your last year, you win a hundred and gazillion games. You go off on a good note and you decide to retire and you win comeback player of the year. People are like, how does he win comeback player of the year? and want to retire after one of his best offensive years, 107 wins and just says, I'm done But what people don't understand is the year before the reason you were comeback player of the year is because you went through an adoption situation. You had COVID, you had to deal with that process. But even before that, people know that you've adopted twins again. To me, this is where life really works on you. Baseball is baseball. Like you said, there's more to life than baseball. You always knew that you always played with that mentality, but now you're dealing with family and family issues are way more, way more important to all of us, obviously. And when we're dealing with a storm in our family, to me, that's where, you know, the rubber meets the road for me. Like that's where baseball, our mentality of baseball, and this is where I viewed it. This is where it kicks in. I went through a tough family situation, lost a marriage, but by baseball mentality, how I handled storms, how I took it as, What's my controllable? What's my not my controllable? What can I do here? What can I do? How do I separate? That was big for me and my family situation, but it had to be big for you and yours because now you're dealing with an actual real life, not a baseball's gonna leave. This is my wife, these are my children my future children and we're running a crazy storm can you talk to me about would you be willing to talk to me about that storm of the adoption process and the emotional roller coaster that took you on and the the amount of strength you had to definitely lean on jesus you had to definitely get with your best friend who's your wife and be like we've got to hunker down here we've got to stay focused and work through this can you would you be willing to talk about that at all
1: Yeah, no, I'd be happy, happy to share it. I mean, I think what I've learned about the adoption process is, you know, unknowingly before we started, I just kind of assumed like it'd be something that would, you know, not necessarily quick, but maybe within a year, uh, you know, we would be blessed with another child. And probably anybody that listens to this that has adopted, I'm assuming will feel the same way just because I've talked to a lot of people now. It's really hard to explain I know there's different reasons for it, right. Um, that people adopt, but do believe it's something that God really has to put on your heart because it's not necessarily something like it's innate in our nature to love another human being as deeply as we can, our, as our own flesh and blood, you know, there are children, but our little baby girls have been such a blessing to our family. And that's the thing that I I always say to people, like when they want to give you, um, any sort of, praise for adopting. It's like not nah, it's the other way. It's like these little girls have blessed our family so much. And it's just a, a joy, just like our older twins, to just be able to love them and parent them. But to get back to the storm of adoption, I think sadly it's it's a it's one that's probably prevalent within the adoption community. I mean we from the time we started the process, which is a is a pretty lengthy process just to kind of be approved to adopt a child. I think we were probably at like three, three and a half years before we actually took our girls home. And we had one failed that we got pretty close on. And, you know, as much as you don't want to tell yourself that you're, you don't want to get too emotionally invested, it's, it's nearly impossible, right? Like you start to think about what this child. And uh, so when it doesn't go through, it's obviously tough. The second one we had for better or worse, we really involved the second adoption we tried to make happen. For better or worse, we really involved our uh, older two twins in the process, and I won't say where this adoption was going to take place, just for you know the sake of anonymity for everybody. But sure, I'll say we went and met with the birth mother before she gave birth, and everything was a go. Come back, we're like we're going to take our older two with us, fly to the place, baby's born, we hold the baby as our own for three days, and the birth father changed his mind as we're getting ready to go home and take our child home. I mean, it was devastating. There's no doubt. There's no other way to put it. It was devastating. I mean, I've never seen my wife as distraught as she was. And our kids, you know, were old enough to understand what's going on and they were upset. It was one of those moments. It truly was a storm because it was like, As Kristen's husband and the father of my children, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, like, okay, how am I supposed to handle this situation? Like, how am I supposed to leave my family right now in something that's just a horrible, horrible situation? And I think that's what's cool about you doing this is like, we all as humans go through this at some point in our life. It's inevitable, right? It's inevitable that we're going to be in a situation that almost feels out of control, right? It's like, I don't even know where to turn here. And for me, I have to lean on my faith. It's like, this is an opportunity right here for my kids to see, am I going to practice what I preach? Am I going to trust in God in all these situations? Or am I going to say, this isn't fair, this isn't right, and start throwing accusations around. Is it not fair and right? Probably, yeah. Like, being realistic, yeah, it's probably not. But also, like, I'm not so naive to say that I'm privy to the whole picture of everything as well. And that doesn't help the hurt in the moment, right? But for, for me, I felt so fortunate to have that lens. One of the saddest things I think I've ever done, I, I walked what I thought was going to be our daughter to a vehicle outside the hospital and put her in the car and, you know, she's gone. And, you know, later that night, I was able to grab my kids and my wife and pray. And just being able to, um, to lean on a, a being that I know is bigger and, and more all knowing than me brought me a lot of comfort. And I don't know, Jeremy, like, I sometimes wonder if people don't have that, how they handle it. Cause there's, there's certain things in life that we're going to encounter, right. That I personally don't know how you would handle it otherwise, In a healthy way, I don't know if you can, to be honest with you.
0: Um, That's right. Yeah, that's right.
1: So the craziest thing was, is as we're flying home, Kristen and I look at each other, you know, still both with like bloodshot eyes from crying. And we're like, we still want to do this. We still want to go through this process. And we still want, even with all Mm -hmm. the hurt, we still want to do it. And I think that just was like, it just spoke volumes to both of us that, you know, I guess it, it kind of gave us confirmation that this was the right path for us to be on. And even though it hurt, it, it was the right path. And I had a, I think a mutual friend of ours, Terry Evans, you know, played for probably 10 years in pro ball yeah,
0: from UPI. Yeah. Yep. Yep.
1: You know, Terry, we were talking the other day, we're doing a study together with about 10 guys and, And Terry was like, man, that's, that's living. Like if you don't feel pain from time to time, if you don't experience that whole range of emotions, if we're just constantly trying to find a state of quote unquote happiness, he's like, that's not really living. And I thought that was a profound comment because it's like, you think about moments in your life that you really like are impactful. They're not necessarily all good. Right. But hopefully we're able to gather something from it that we can point to that good came from it. But I I just think, our tendency is just to protect, 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 right? And it just, it sometimes keeps us from, we might miss out on some things otherwise that are just so wonderful and beautiful because we're afraid to be hurt. And I can understand that, right? I mean, I can understand that, but I'll say the hurt that we felt pales in a comparison to the joy that we have parenting our two and a half year old twin girls that if we had otherwise balled up and said, We're out, we're not doing this, we don't want to even put ourselves out there to possibly be hurt. We don't want our oldest twins to possibly be hurt again. We would have missed out on getting to to parent these little girls. Um yeah, yeah, it's it's been a great journey, one that's, you know, Lord willing, just starting. And uh feel very fortunate to parent all four of our kids.
0: Yeah, and one of those. One of the things we have to realize in life, whether you believe in God or don't believe in God, for me, I always love the saying, if you don't believe in God, it's okay because God believes in you. But hearing your conversation on, you don't know if you could even get through some of these things without relying on Jesus, without having someone bigger than yourself to rely on, that has no all, say all, sees all, and all, but then also he's the one that you feel which I would agree with, obviously, called you to the adoption process. So when something fails and falls through, there's something that you have the ability to say, unfortunately, that was really painful. That was terrible. I don't know why we went through it. I do have an understanding that I think that it obviously brings you closer to your children and to your wife and say, okay, we still want to do this. We need to hunker down here. You almost have that more of that passion, that love, that understanding of when the right adoption is in play. This is who we're supposed to adopt. God said, no, he shut the door for whatever reason. He sees more than we see. And our faith is tested in that situation and therefore strengthened and being able to say, but he still called us this. He still gave us this feeling of the adoption is the right way. So I don't know why it didn't work. I don't know why I'm in this storm, but I'm also called to run through that storm, push through that storm. Because we talk about time on the podcast, when you get through a storm, there's always sunshine on the other side of it. If you run from it, you stay in it longer. If you go at it, it passes over you and there is sunshine on the other side. And now with these two and a half year old girls, there's that sunshine, there's that smile, there's that where I'm sure your wife doesn't go one day without looking at your baby girls and you're like this is life. I have four beautiful children. I've got, it's hard, but it's also worth it, you know, and you went through it. And I think that's an important thing to learn from that. Yeah, no doubt. No
1: doubt. And I think it's taught me, um, I think by nature, I'm a very controlling person. So I think that was another lesson for me. And all of this is that, man, I'm out of control. I'm not in control in this. And I had to relinquish that control to, to God. And, uh, you know, we, when Kristen and I decided we wanted to adopt, we really had no stipulations. We are like, our only stipulation, we don't care about gender. We don't care about race. We just don't want twins. We're like, we want to have one baby that we <laughs> that we can love on. And even in that, you know, I tried to control that. And guess what happens? Who do we end up adopting? We adopt twin girls and would not trade it for the world now. But it's, man, it's such a, the control thing. That's a hard one, you know, because our, our world... Uh, our world is set up on, you know, we've all got our calendars and we've got podcasts today at 12. Then you got pick up the kids, go to, you know, whatever, dinner, whatever, whatever it is. So it's like, and it has to, I have to be so intentional to not slip back into the trap of wanting to control everything.
0: Yeah, no, that's really good, man. I I appreciate the story. I think Coming to a close here, I really appreciate you coming on, Buster. I know you have a lot going on, and and I said we do it at 40 minutes, and we're right at 40. I, I do appreciate your story. I think that so many people look at scenarios, sometimes outside looking in, whether it's you or somebody else, and they think, man, he had all this success, your contracts are always posted, which is kind of a bad thing, I think, a lot of times. And they always think life must be easy and it must be good, and it's really not. We're human beings. We go through the same stuff. We're dealing with the same things. And we've got family stuff. We've got kids stuff. We've got marital stuff. We've got sports. We got work. We got all these different things we go through. And in the end, these podcasts never, for me, they never fail me. Whenever I do different guests, different scenarios, storms are inevitable. They're going to happen. You cannot get away from them. You don't know when they're going to hit. Sometimes we put them on ourselves. Sometimes we, other people put them on us, but they will happen. And it's the ability to go through them to know that when you go through it and you push through it, whether it be an ankle injury, whether it be an adoption process, there is a joy that can come out of it if you work through it. But in every case, and not everybody I have on here thinks the same way, but in your and I's mindset, man, leaning on God is the only way to get through a storm, and it's the only way to push through it. Having people around us to help push us through is super important. Whether it be friends, family, uh, yep. you know, a wife as dedicated as yours, kids that are just with you, all those things, you will get through it. But you do go through them. You are not at a touch, and you're not the one that has to be uh, avoiding it. Because for me, everybody on here, if they're listening, it's gonna happen. But push through it and trust the process. And if you don't have a faith in God, this might be a time to learn, to grasp that, or to seek that, or or to get more understanding of maybe this might be a situation to uh, have a faith. And I appreciated wa- watching your faith, Buster, throughout the years, and I appreciate your faith now. I know you're doing a huge study in Atlanta. I've been hearing about it. So uh, I think you're doing great, man. I'm proud of you, brother. And and um, thank you so much for coming on this podcast. This is awesome.
1: Yeah, no, my pleasure. And And just to kind of add on to what you were saying there, for somebody that doesn't believe or has interest in believing, I think... I think one of the best ways to explore your faith is to find somebody that you in your life that you know is a believer of Jesus and go to him and ask him. Because I know you'll agree with me on this is like there's nothing more in the world that I enjoy talking about than that. So if you're ever questioning and you're like, man, I don't know, like how to pro-, I promise you if that person's truly trying their best to follow Jesus and, and what his ways were and are. Then they will so happily talk to you. And I think that's yeah. just, that's the only way you're ever going to know, right? Is to, to, it's the way that I've, I've learned and I still try to do it is, is I try to lean into people that I feel like are further along in their walk than me. And, uh, you were always good for me early on in my career because my, my natural, it has changed a little bit now, but my natural tendency would be to just kind of hole up. It's me against the world. I can do it. I'll be able to push myself through it. And you were always grabbing me, hey, let's go get coffee. Hey, let's go to dinner. And i now being older, I man, I just realized how important that community and relationship is in life. And I think the last thing I'll say here is that it is because of these storms you're talking about, man. Like if, yeah. if you don't if you don't have that when you go through uh, some turmoil, it's like, whew, man, it's going to be really, really hard. Not to say that it's not gonna be hard. But at least you can draw strength from those that are, that are close to you.
0: That's right. That's right, man. Buster, thanks for coming on. I appreciate you again. This is built for the storm podcast in Ernie, Texas at free room brewing company. Thank you for listening. Uh, what an awesome podcast again. Thanks Buster. Appreciate it, my friend. You
1: got it, man. Pleasure. You've been dialed into the built for the storm podcast with Jeremy appell. And he strikes out. That's four straight for Athel. Can't do it any better than Jeremy Athel.
0: If you like what you heard, please like, rate, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts and Spotify today. Jeremy Athel here for Free Roam Brewing Company. Do you enjoy craft beer? I do. So I started Free Roam Brewing Company. Our logo, environment, and community all reflect the mighty Buffalo, a creature built for the storm. It symbolizes our strength, perseverance, and a love of freedom. Here at Free Roam Brewing Company, we are determined to strengthen our community through the love of craft beer. Our premium quality lagers and ales reflect the diverse experiences and tastes of our community. In a boundless world of potential beer styles, we cherish the freedom to roam. So if you're in the Bernie area, whether local or passing through, Join us on Main Street and enjoy your freedom. Jeremy Affel here for the Hotel Via. I know you've heard it's at the intersection of sports, technology, and entertainment. But for me, it's my home away from home when I visit San Francisco. I can give you 50 great reasons why I chose Hotel Via, but it's easier for me to say it provides all the comforts of home, family-owned and operated, and of course, it's across from the beautiful Oracle Park. So when you're coming to San Francisco for business, pleasure, vacation, or just coming to a sporting event, check in to the Hotel Via.